Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. Like I did in my last episode, I'm just going to start this off with a little disclaimer that yes, I sound congested, and no, I'm not sick or have the coronavirus or anything deadly. It's just a weird possible allergy type thing. Moving along, today's study guide is going to be Margaret Beaufort, as is the case with everyone we've been covering in the series on the Women of the War of the Roses. You almost certainly did not learn about Margaret Beaufort in a high school history or English class because a woman in the Middle Ages. Why would we possibly care about her life? That being said, Margaret Beaufort's life is pretty fascinating, and not just because she is the mother of the founder of the Tudor dynasty. As we all know, I hate defining women solely in terms of their husbands, fathers, or sons. Her study guide involves some questionable wardships, bad weather, and an extremely aggressive teen pregnancy. Let's begin. Margaret Beaufort was born May 31st, 1443, which means she si- which means she shares the same birthday as me. In fact, Margaret Beaufort is probably the most exciting person to share a birthday with me. Yay, fellow Geminis, Donald Trump not included. She was born at Bledsoe Castle in Bedfordshire, England. Margaret's parents are John Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, and Margaret Beauchamp. And because she and her mother shared the same name, when I refer to her mother, I'll usually be calling her Margaret Beauchamp. Margaret is John and Margaret Beauchamp's only child. John Beaufort, Margaret's father, is the son of John of Gaunt and Catherine Swineford's oldest illegitimate son, and thanks to his relation to John of Gaunt and Catherine Swineford, John Beaufort is going to be a pretty major landowner in England. Because of his relation to John of Gaunt and Catherine Swineford, John Beaufort is also going to be technically related to the English royal family, but he's not going to be allowed to inherit the throne of England due to a law passed by Henry IV However, at around the same time that Henry IV was passing that particular law, the Pope had said that the Beaufort branch from John of Gaunt may be able to inherit, maybe, but no one is totally sure if the Beauforts can inherit, which definitely won't cause a political mess down the line. JK, it totally will. Margaret's mother, Margaret Beauchamp is an heiress descended from Henry III of England way, way, way back when, but by now, the Beauchamp family doesn't really have any claims to the throne of England. Margaret Beauchamp also is a landowner in her own right. John is Margaret Beauchamp's second husband. Her first husband, who is now dead, is Oliver St. John, who Margaret Beauchamp had had seven children with. So she has set herself up as very fertile, which is always good when you're marrying a major landowner. Before Margaret was born, her father John had been fighting in France in the Hundred Years' War, which still has not ended, hence its name, the Hundred Years' War. 
John's time fighting didn't go great. He got captured by the French army in 1421 and will stay in a French prison for 17 years. During his time in the French prison, his younger brothers will start rising at the English royal court, which will cause family conflict because John feels like his brothers are stealing his rightful place. Also, John Beaufort is going to have to use his own money to pay ransom. The king and his various relatives won't bail him out, which means that once John is out of prison and back in England, he is going to have to do various unpopular things at his estate to make the money back. Even though John is in prison and is having to use his own money to get out of said prison, he does have quite a bit of political support from his uncle Edmund Beaufort, who is a leading Lancaster at court and is very, very close to King Henry VI, which of course will help John Beaufort down the line. Right after Margaret is born, and by now her father obviously is out of France because he was able to have sex with her mother, which makes Margaret come into the picture, Henry VI is officially crowned King of England. He is now he is now an adult. We don't need a regency, etc., etc. Now that Henry VI is King of England, John Beaufort starts rising at court, gets in pretty close with the king. He is going to become a knight of the Order of the Garter, which is a fairly high-ranking position at the English royal court, and he will also get a promotion to be the commander-in-chief of the English forces in France, which isn't too shabby. It's also around this time, right after his daughter's birth, that John Beaufort will officially be given the title of the Duke of Somerset, which will come with quite a lot of land and quite a lot of money. But these happy times are not going to last. In 1444, a, the year after Margaret was born, her father is going to die. John Beaufort had been part of a military expedition to France. After all, he is the commander-in-chief of the English forces in France, but said military expedition goes extremely badly. John Beaufort gets put in charge of the defense of Gascony, even though, as we've established, he doesn't have all that much experience fighting. Most of his experience in France involved being in a French prison, and instead of defending Gascony, John Beaufort is going to instead invade England's ally, Brittany, which is going to cost England a ton of money and quite a lot of foreign goodwill. As a result of the invasion of Brittany, John Beaufort is going to be accused of treason and may or may not have killed himself due to the disgrace of the entire affair. After John's death, Margaret Beaufort, who was only one year old at the time, is suddenly one of the biggest heiresses in all of England because her father had so much land and money due to the whole John of Gaunt connection. She is going to inherit all of her father's estates, all of his money, basically everything except his title, the Duke of Somerset, because, well, duh, she's not a boy. Once her father's dead, there's a bit of a question of who's going to watch Margaret. Who is her ward going to be? 
Her father had tried to set it up that Margaret's mother, Margaret Beecham, would be her guardian, but that doesn't happen. Instead, Margaret becomes the ward of William de la Poole, the Earl of Suffolk, a leading nobleman who was a really close friend of the king. After all, the de la Poles have all the power at court, and the king does get to decide who will be the ward of nobles who are minors, and Henry VI isn't exactly pleased with the Beauforts, so it would make sense that he would pass over John Beaufort's wishes and give the wardship instead to one of his closest friends. However, Henry does throw Margaret and his and her mother a bit of a bone. He allows Margaret to live with her mother, which is pretty uncommon for the time period. Usually, wards would live with whoever has your wardship, but Henry relents and lets the baby Margaret stay with her mother. As a result, Margaret is going to spend most of her childhood at her mother's estate at Bledsoe and will be pretty close with her older half-siblings for the rest of her life. As a result of staying with her mother, Margaret Beaufort is going to have a pretty excellent education. She's going to be literate, and she's going to be able to speak and read French, which was no mean feat for a young woman in the time period. When Margaret is around seven years old, in 1450, she ends up getting engaged to the son of her ward, William de la Pole, the Earl of Suffolk. Some sources say that she and John de la Pole were only engaged. Some sources say they were actually married. The reason for this discrepancy was because in the 1400s, a betrothal was essentially seen as being the same as marriage, so it really depends on the source you look at. Since John de la Pole and Margaret Beaufort are technically related. They both were descendants of Catherine Swineford. The two need a papal dispensation to get betrothed slash married, but they're so high-ranking that the Pope is willing to give them said dispensation. Basically, this engagement is a political move from the get-go. The Earl of Suffolk is losing power at court, which... I mentioned in the Margaret of Anjou episode, and he wants a good marriage alliance for his son to boost the family's power. And the Beauforts have a ton of land and a ton of political influence. After all, Margaret Beaufort technically is next in line to the throne because Henry VI doesn't have any children. All the brothers of his father by now are dead. And based on the family tree, the next person through the John of Gaunt line, which is how Henry VI had his claim to the throne, is Margaret Beaufort. So by marrying his son off to her, the Earl of Suffolk is really boosting his power. However, the engagement slash marriage doesn't go super well. Suffolk is accused of trying to set his son up to be the next king via his relationship to Margaret, and this contributes to his downfall, where he will end up being impeached, banished, and executed at sea, which I discussed in the Margaret of Anjou episode. 
While all this drama around her betrothal slash marriage is going on, Margaret Beaufort's mother has gotten remarried to a baron, Lionel de Wells, and has a final son who will marry Cecily of York, Elizabeth Woodville's daughter, because fucking everyone who's a noble in the War of the Roses is related, and just thinking about the mess that is the family tree gives me hives. In 1453, after all of the drama around the Suffolk engagement, Henry VI steps back into Margaret's life. He calls her and her mother back to court, where he just showers young Margaret with presents. Say what you will about Henry VI, and trust me, I have a lot to say about Henry VI, but it seems like he was a genuinely nice guy, especially to the younger members of his extended family. While Margaret is at court in 1453, Henry decides to switch her wardship. Obviously, now that Suffolk is dead, he can't be her ward anymore, so Henry gives it to the Tudor family. Like I discussed in the Catherine of Alois tangent cast, Jasper and Edmund Tudor are Henry's younger half-brothers through his mother, Catherine of Alois, who, after Henry V had died, had married a Welsh nobleman, Owen Tudor, among much scandal. After Catherine had died, Henry ended up getting really close to his younger Tudor half-brothers and gave them a ton of money and positions at court, and one of those ways to shower them with gifts was to give them the wardship of one of the wealthiest noblewomen in England. Along with giving the Tudor brothers the wardship, Henry also conveniently dissolves Margaret's engagement slash marriage to John de la Pole. Hmm. Suddenly, the very wealthy Margaret is now single. It's almost like Henry and the Tudors have something in mind. And yeah, they do have a plan for the young Margaret Beaufort, who at this point in time is only 10 years old. The same year that she becomes the ward for Jasper and Edmund Tudor, she also, surprise surprise, ends up being engaged to Edmund Tudor. While all of these changes in Margaret's personal circumstances are going on, Henry VI has his first attack of madness and suddenly could no longer rule England. There is a massive power vacuum at the English royal court. Henry's wife, Margaret of Anjou, gives birth to a son, but there's immediately drama over if Henry VI is really the baby's father. Then we get a regency under Richard Plantagenet, the Duke of York, aka we're inching ever closer to the War of the Roses. And if you want more detail on how the War of the Roses broke out, you can listen to the Cecily Neville and Margaret of Anjou episodes for background. But honestly, the 10-year-old Margaret Beaufort probably wasn't all that concerned about what was happening up in the English royal court in London. Because in November 1455, the 12-year-old Margaret Beaufort married the 24-year-old Edmund Tudor. As soon as the two were married, she was moved from her mother's estate at Bledsoe to Edmund Tudor's estate in Wales. By the time Margaret got married to Edmund, 
the entirety of England and Wales was pretty firmly under the control of Richard, the Duke of York, who was serving as the protector of the realm slash England's regent. Pretty soon after Margaret's wedding, she was pregnant. While we don't know exactly when she became pregnant, we do know that when Edmund Tudor died unexpectedly of plague after getting captured by Yorkists, remember, he is the king's half-brother, so he definitely is going to be on the Lancaster side of the War of the Roses conflict in November 1456, Margaret is heavily pregnant, and she's only 13 years old. While during the 1400s, Noble women did get married and have children much, much earlier than we do in 2020. Even by those standards, 13 was considered to be extremely early for a noble woman to be pregnant. Even back in the 15th century, they understood that there was an age that was too young for a woman to safely give birth, and 13 was definitely skirting the line. Edmund probably consummated the relationship with Margaret so soon after the wedding because if Margaret had children, he would have more access and control over her lands. And as we all remember, Margaret was a major landowner through her father's inheritance. This shows that maybe Edmund Tudor wasn't a great husband even if he wasn't Margaret's husband for all that long, thanks to the whole dying of plague a year into the marriage. Also, due to the fact that Margaret was so young and so small, even their contemporaries felt like Edmund was super overstepping by consummating the marriage so soon. As soon as Margaret found out that her husband was dead, the extremely pregnant preteen went to the safety of Jasper Tudor's home at Pembroke Castle. At Pembroke, on January 28th, 1457, she gave birth to a son, Henry Tudor. The delivery of Henry Tudor was extremely hard because, as I mentioned, Margaret Beaufort was super young and super tiny. Most modern historians think that something went wrong in the delivery process because Margaret never had another child, even though she did have other husbands, so something probably happened to her reproductive organs during the birthing process. At birth, both Henry and Margaret were pretty sick because, remember, she's only 13. She isn't exactly in the best position to be giving birth, but both of them manage to survive, which is no mean feat because of, one, her age, two, the fact that the plague is raging through Wales, and three, we're in the 1400s. Medicine is fairly non-existent, and where it does exist, it's more likely to kill you than heal you. However, when Henry survives, Margaret describes him as her own sweet and most dear king. As soon as he's born and survives, it becomes clear that Margaret is going to devote the rest of her life to promoting her son. After Henry's birth, Margaret stays with her brother-in-law, Jasper Tudor. After all, as a single woman, 
well, really, a single 13-year-old in 1400s England, there are not a whole lot of options for Margaret Beaufort. And Jasper had been her guardian pre-marriage, and he offers her protection yet again. The two quickly start planning a new marriage for her because, once again, as a single teenager in 1400s England, that's the best way to maintain her safety. While they're not looking for a possible husband, Margaret will serve as the head of Jasper's household and starts getting interested in local and religious affairs. She will help set up some almshouses for local women in Wales. In 1458, two years after she gives birth, Margaret marries Henry Strafford, the son of the very powerful Duke of Buckingham, after she's gone through an appropriate, an appropriate period of mourning. She and Jasper decided on Henry Strafford because she needs to marry someone influential because her position within the English nobility is still a bit precarious thanks to the whole War of the Roses, which is on the verge of bubbling over again, and Henry Strafford is just that. Once again, Henry and Margaret are theoretically related through Catherine Swineford, and once again, they need the Pope's permission to get married. They get it, and in January 1458, they are wed. Henry and Margaret do have a pretty solid relationship. For example, they usually travel together, which was fairly uncommon for husbands and wives to do during the time period. By the time Margaret gets remarried, for either the second or third time, depending on how you define her relationship with John de la Poole, the War of the Roses is really heating up, and it is a little bit unclear what side Margaret is going to choose. She's related to the Yorkist branch through some of her half-siblings' marriages, and she is cousins with Cecily Neville, but she's also really close to the Lancaster side because her first husband was Henry VI's half-brother after all, and the Tudors are very, very much against the Yorkists. Jasper's father, Owen Tudor, is going to be executed by the Yorkists, and Jasper Tudor is going to have to spend some time as a fugitive in Wales before fleeing to Scotland. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, Margaret Beaufort is when you stay allied with the Lancaster side in the War of the Roses. By 1461, like I've discussed in the Cecily Neville and Margaret Anjou episodes, the Yorkists pretty much have control of England. At the Battle of Taunton, Margaret of Anjou and Henry VI and their son have to flee up to Scotland, and Edward IV becomes King of England. This causes a pretty big fall for Margaret and Henry Strafford. Henry Strafford doesn't necessarily get punished because he was seen as fairly neutral within the war, but they are going to lose a lot of political power. Edward IV is going to make Margaret's son, Henry Tudor, the ward of one of his best friends, William Hebert, the Earl of Pembroke, because, after all, Henry Tudor was the son of a major Lancaster. Margaret is going to be officially separated from her son in 1462, but she will get paid a pretty hefty government pension as a bit of an apology for the separation. 
Edward is going to continue co-opting Margaret and Henry within the royal court. For example, he's going to have Henry Strafford's heir and nephew, also named Henry, because everyone has like the same three names, marry Elizabeth Woodville's sister, Catherine Woodville. Despite the fact that Edward separated Margaret from her beloved son, during the first section of Edward IV's reign, Margaret is going to have a decent enough relationship with the royal family. She and her husband will host them at one of their estates in 1468, and Stafford will help deal with the very beginning of the start of what will eventually be Warwick's Rebellion. However, once Warwick's Rebellion breaks out in full force, things are really going to change. However, when Warwick's Rebellion fully breaks out and takes off, things start changing in the relationship between Margaret Beaufort and Edward IV. After all, Henry VI briefly gets restored to the English throne in 1470, and when he's restored, he gives Margaret full control of her son, Henry Tudor, back. Margaret and the baby Henry Tudor go to visit with Henry VI, which makes it pretty clear to everyone that Margaret isn't exactly going to be the best ally for the Yorkists. However, her husband, Henry Strafford, stays on the Yorkist side and fights for Edward during the rebellion, which probably causes some awkwardness between the couple, but Momo certainly protected Margaret in the long run. By May 1471, Warwick's rebellion ended with the Battle of Tewkesbury, Henry VI's son died in battle, Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou got captured, and Henry VI was murdered soon after. With the death of both Henry VI and his son, Henry Tudor suddenly has the best claim as the Lancaster heir due to his descendants from John of Gaunt via Margaret Beaufort, which isn't exactly the best place to be in given that the Yorkists are now firmly in power. And Margaret Beaufort is very aware of that, and she does not want her son to end up like Henry VI or his son, aka dead. As a result, in September 1471, Margaret Beaufort and Jasper Tudor make the decision to send Henry Tudor to France. However, his boat gets blown slightly off course in a slightly off course in a storm, so Henry Tudor is going to spend the next decade or so hanging out in Brittany instead of in France, biding his time. A few months later, in October 1471, Margaret's husband, Henry Strafford, dies from wounds that he got during Warwick's rebellion. His death is super problematic for Margaret. First, the two did get along very well, but more importantly, Stafford is Margaret's protector because he's such a good Yorkist and she aggressively is not. With her husband dead, Margaret has to start making connections at the royal court to keep her head above the waves. She immediately puts all the land she has inherited from her father and her various husbands into a trust so that her son, Henry Tudor, could control them someday. She then marries Thomas Stanley, who is one of Edward IV's main allies, as well as the guy who Edward put in charge of administrating her son's lands in his absence. Isn't that nice and convenient for her? 
She also then goes out of her way to somewhat befriend Elizabeth Woodville. The two are close enough that Margaret will act as a godmother for one of Elizabeth's younger daughters. By 1482, Edward IV has agreed to recognize Henry Tudor's claims to the Beaufort lands and says that Henry can get money from the family estates if he comes back to England. I mean, yes, that is a big if, because there's always the fear that if Henry comes back to England, Edward might just capture and kill him, but it does mean that if Henry Tudor were to ever return to England, say if Edward IV were dead and there was a really unpopular king on the throne, he would suddenly be extremely powerful. In 1483, Edward IV dies unexpectedly, and then the throne of England is usurped from his son, Edward V, by Edward IV's brother, Richard, which brings us to Richard III and the Princes in the Tower, which I discussed in the Cecily Neville and Elizabeth Woodville episodes. Margaret's second husband's heir, the other Henry Strafford, the other Duke of Buckingham, may have actually been the one to kill the princes in the tower, so even in that little tangent, Margaret Beaufort is still distantly involved. Margaret's relationship with Richard III starts out being vaguely okay. Margaret is fine with Richard taking over as king. She really doesn't care. She's just waiting for there to be an opportunity to bring her son back to England and to try to promote him as the rightful king. And also, her husband is fairly close to Richard III. Margaret just wants to keep her head down and focus on not causing trouble. However, very quickly, Margaret Beaufort starts to turn on Richard III, as do a lot of people at court. And Margaret's main ally in this turn is going to be Elizabeth Woodville the two women start to make a plan to marry Elizabeth Woodville's daughter, Elizabeth of York, to Margaret Beaufort's son, Henry Tudor, and have those two take the throne from Richard III. In 1483, Margaret attempts the first rebellion against Richard III. She joins up with her ex-husband's nephew, the Duke of Buckingham, to start hyping up Henry Tudor and the possible marriage to Elizabeth of York. However, bad weather means that Henry and an army he's been gathering in France can't actually make it to England, and the Duke of Buckingham has to face down Richard III alone. The Duke loses this battle because say what you will about Richard III, but the guy was good at military strategy, and the Duke of Buckingham is executed on November 2nd, 1483. The Duke of Buckingham's widow ends up marrying Margaret's brother-in-law, Jasper Tudor, because holy shit, you guys, literally everyone in the saga is related, and I hate it so much. Post-rebellion, things, once again, are looking extremely bad for Margaret. Richard III gets rid of the trust that she had spent so much time creating for her son. He also strips Margaret of any land she had inherited from her father and gives it all to her husband, Stanley, who on the surface is acting like a good Yorkist. He even places Margaret 
into her husband's custody as a quasi-prisoner who's supposed to just sit there and not do anything. Or at least, that's the plan. Because, as it turns out, Stanley is going to be a fairly chill husband to Margaret, and is going to be content to sit back and let her do her own thing, aka let her write to Henry Tudor and continue plotting the best way to bring Richard III down. By 1485, Henry Tudor has decided that he has he is as organized and ready to go as he ever will be. In the summer of 1485, he sails to Wales and lands there, since it was the land of his father. It's symbolically appropriate to start his rebellion there. As soon as he and his army land in Wales, he starts marching towards London and Richard. As soon as Stanley and Margaret get news that Henry has successfully landed, Stanley almost immediately leaves the York aside and joins up with Henry Tudor, which is a huge blow for Richard III because, through his connection to Margaret Beaufort, Stanley does control quite a lot of land in England. Richard of York and Henry Tudor finally face off at the Battle of Bosworth Field. In the battle, Stanley refuses to fight on either side, and his brother unexpectedly attacks Richard's army after saying he will be neutral. These two events help Henry Tudor win the battle. In the Malay, Richard III dies, which makes him the last English monarch to die in battle. After the battle, Henry Tudor is able to say that he is now King of England. He won in battle, which means that he no longer has to rely on his mother's connection to John of Gaunt to stake his claim to the throne because that connection is shaky at best. And after all, we always love a story of a king who has his right in a strong military sort of way. It's so much more exciting than tracing it back through a confusing family tree. In addition to Henry Tudor winning the throne in an epic battle, his arrival in England means that Margaret Beaufort gets to see her son in the first time in over a decade, which had to be thrilling for her. On October 30th, 1485, Henry Tudor is crowned Henry VII of England, and suddenly Margaret Beaufort is the mother of the Queen, and she has a ton of power. Her official title is My Lady, the Queen's Mother. She is the highest-ranking woman in England, and her husband Stanley is the one to crown Henry because his support had been so key to Henry's winning at Bosworth. A few months later, in January 1486, Henry marries Elizabeth of York, just like Margaret Beaufort and Elizabeth Woodville had been planning all along. In order to make sure the marriage is extra valid and squeaky clean, Henry undoes an act that Richard III had passed that said that all of Edward IV's kids were illegitimate, and this act does have some pretty big ramifications because it means that if either of Elizabeth's brothers were alive, they would be the most rightful king, not Henry, which suggests that Henry Tudor is extremely confident that they are dead, which has led some people to believe that maybe Henry Tudor had played some role in the death of the princes in the tower, which is a fun conspiracy theory that we're not going to get into. 
Henry and Elizabeth of York, end up having four children, Arthur, Henry, Margaret, and Mary. Once Henry becomes crown king, Margaret Beaufort is going to stay on as a major advisor to him. Henry names her a femme sole, or an independent woman, which means that she gets to independently administer her own lands, and he's also going to return to her all the lands that she lost during the War of the Roses, which, as we've established, is a crap ton of land. Basically, she is going to be even more powerful than the actual Queen of England. She has a larger household, gets to control the royal nursery, decide the education of the royal children, etc., etc. Margaret will also write a book of court protocol that will be super influential in various Tudor courts called the Book of Royal Household. A year after Henry marries Elizabeth of York, Elizabeth Woodville leaves court for good. Margaret Beaufort may have had something to do with this because she doesn't love the fact that Elizabeth Woodville technically outranks her because, after all, Elizabeth Woodville is a dowager queen and Margaret is only the mother of a king. However, Elizabeth had also been accused of of supporting Lambert Simnel, even though her support was unlikely at best, which also may have played a role in why Elizabeth Woodville left court. In 1499, Margaret starts to live separately from her husband, Stanley. A big reason for this is because Stanley's brother got involved in another plot against Henry, the the Perkin Warbeck plot, and got executed for his involvement. In addition to Stanley's treasonous brother, tensions had been developing in the relationship between Margaret and her husband because Margaret was so much higher ranking in the relationship. After she moves out from her husband, she will spend most of her time at court or in Northamptonshire in a manner that she bought with her own money. But just because Margaret is theoretically a single woman doesn't mean that she's slowing down. When Catherine of Aragon comes to England to marry Henry Tudor's oldest son, Prince Arthur, Margaret is going to be put in charge of educating Catherine of Aragon. After all, Margaret was known for being a major patron of the arts, but then, as we all know, Arthur died in 1502, and Catherine of Aragon was just going to sort of awkwardly sit around until Henry VII died, and then Catherine of Aragon would marry Henry VIII, which would cause some big drama down the line, but we're not even close to being there. In 1504, Margaret's husband Stanley died, but she did not get remarried. After all, she is fairly old at this point. Instead, she got super into religion. She had always been known for being fairly pious. Remember how after Edmund Tudor's death, she got really into building almshouses in Wales. She buys a bunch of religious books from one of the first English publishers, William Caxton, and becomes one of his major patrons, which is going to have big ramifications for the English publishing industry as a whole. She also befriends John Fisher, a priest who is the first chair of divinity at Cambridge and who later will become chancellor of Cambridge. She will also give money and gifts to create 
two colleges at Cambridge, Christ College and St. John's College. In fact, Margaret Beaufort plays such a large role in English education that the first Oxford College to let women in, Lady Margaret Hall, is named after her. In April 1509, Henry VII dies. At the time of his death, he had named Margaret the main executor of his will, which is a huge position for a woman to get. At the funeral, she is the highest-ranked woman in England, so she gets to occupy a special seat. She also is going to be in charge of organizing the coronation of Henry VIII, and she will be present at the coronation, which means that she lives during the reign of her son and grandson, which is pretty cool. Margaret Beaufort will end up dying five days after Henry VIII's coronation on June 29, 1509, at the age of 68. She is buried in Westminster Abbey in a tomb that she started to build in 1506 because Margaret Beaufort liked to think ahead, and her tomb nowadays is between the graves of Mary, Queen of Scots, and William and Mary, which is a weird combination, but kind of interesting. So, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, let's do a quick little recap. Margaret Beaufort was born in 1443 to extremely well-connected noble parents, John Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, and Margaret Beauchamp. Her father was the grandson of John of Gaunt and Catherine Swineford and was one of the wealthiest landowners in England. By the time Margaret was born, he had just been released from a French prison that he had been living in for 17 years and, for unclear reasons, had become the commander-in-chief of the English forces in France. He was then sent to fight in France and kind of epically screwed up by invading England's ally, Brittany, and was then, of course, accused of treason. He was so ashamed by this accusation that he may or may not have killed himself, leaving little baby Margaret in need of an official guardian. Margaret's new guardian was William de la Pole, the Earl of Suffolk, one of King Henry VI's closest kings. Now that he had a wealthy heiress as his ward, William de la Pole did what you would do in the situation and engaged Margaret to his son, John, even though the two were technically related. Don't worry, they got a papal dispensation. However, Henry VI was not pleased by this engagement. He became worried that de la Poole was doing this solely to try to grab onto the throne because Margaret theoretically was next in line to the throne. William de la Poole ended up getting impeached, banished, and executed by sea, and yet again, Margaret Beaufort needed a new guardian, because of course her mother couldn't be her guardian. What are we living in? 2020? Absurd. Henry VI made his Welsh half-brothers Edmund and Jasper Tudor, Margaret's new guardian. The same year that they became her new guardian, Margaret became engaged to Edmund Tudor. Right around this time, Henry VI had his first bout of madness, pulling us ever closer to the War of the Roses. Right after she married Edmund Tudor, the now 13-year-old Margaret fell pregnant because, yeah, welcome to the 1400s. As it turned out, Edmund Tudor maybe wasn't the world's best guy. 
When Margaret was six months pregnant, her husband died unexpectedly of the plague, and Margaret immediately peaced out to her brother-in-law, Jasper's castle, to stay safe while she delivered her son. She did deliver her son, Henry, in January 1457. Both mother and baby survived, which was fairly shocking given the time period we're in, but Margaret was unable to ever have any more children. Now that she had a son, Margaret and Jasper began putting their heads together because a single 13-year-old with a child is not exactly in the safest place in 1400s England, especially when her dead husband is very connected to the radically unpopular king. They found her a new husband, Henry Strafford, the son of a very powerful duke. She got married and moved back to court. As the War of the Roses continued to heat up, Margaret stayed allied to the Lancaster branch, even though her husband was more on the Yorkist side of things. This ended up being a good choice for Margaret because by 1461, the Yorkists had won, and because her husband was a good Yorkist, she didn't get all that punished. Yes, she lost her beloved son, Henry Tudor, to a new guardian, but there weren't any big executions. In fact, Margaret Beaufort did have a fairly decent relationship with the new royal family. However, Warwick's rebellion changed all of that. When Henry VI briefly regained the English throne, Margaret and her son Henry Tudor visited with the king, and Margaret made it real clear that she was not going to be loyal to the Yorkists. When the Yorkists regained control and kind of sort of murdered Henry VI, her son Henry Tudor was technically the next in line for the Lancaster claim to the throne, which meant that England was not the safest place for him with the Yorkists in power. So in 1471, Margaret Beaufort and Jasper Tudor sent Henry to France for his own safety, except due to a storm he ended up in Brittany, but it was okay, he was safe just biding his time until he could come back and reclaim the throne. While all this was going on, Margaret's husband, Henry Strafford, died, so Margaret had to get married yet again. She married Thomas Stanley, who was a really close friend of Edward IV, and yet again managed to work her way back up into the royal court by befriending Edward's wife, Elizabeth Woodville. When Edward IV died and Richard III became king, Margaret and Elizabeth tightened their relationship and tightened their relationship even more. The two women decided that they would have their children, Elizabeth of York and Henry Tudor, get married and once this marriage was in place, overthrow Richard III. In 1483, Margaret attempted an a rebellion against Richard. It didn't go anywhere because bad weather meant that Henry Tudor couldn't actually land in England. When Richard found out about it, he was extremely pissed off and confiscated all of Margaret's land. However, Margaret's new husband, Thomas Stanley, still supported his wife in her attempts to bring her son back and reclaim the throne. 
1485, Henry Tudor was ready to fight, he landed in Wales, started marching towards London, and took on Richard in the famous Battle of Bosworth Field, and thanks to support from Margaret's husband and his brother, Henry Tudor ended up winning, and Richard III died in battle. As a result, Henry Tudor was now Henry VII of England. Yay, Henry. As mother of the queen, Margaret Beaufort had a ton of power. She was probably the most powerful woman in England. She and Elizabeth Woodville's plan of having their children marry each other went through. Henry Tudor and Elizabeth of York would have four children together, and through the rest of her son's reign, Margaret Beaufort would be a major advisor to him. She would also be a major patron of the arts, religion, and education in England. In 1509, Henry VII died. Margaret was the main executor of his will and would also help organize the coronation of her grandson, Henry VIII. Margaret ended up dying five days after her grandson was coronated in June 1509 at the age of 68. For this episode, most of my research came from Joan Johnson Lewis's Falco article on Margaret, Susan Flancer's article on Margaret Beaufort, and Nicola Tallis's book, Uncrowned Queen, The Fateful Life of Margaret Beaufort, Tudor Matriarch. As always, for a full list of sources and relevant, inform- and relevant images, you can visit the website Sad Girl Study Guides. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or an idea for a future study guide series or a standalone episode or a tangent cast, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. If you want to financially help out the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. We accept donations on a monthly basis at any level. If you join at $5 a month or more, you get access to the every two week tangent casts where I talk about people, places, or things that didn't quite fit in to a normal episode. Our latest tangent cast was all about Jaquetta of Luxembourg, Elizabeth Woodville's very scandalous mother who may or may not have been a witch. Next time, I will be doing a study guide on Elizabeth of York, Henry Tudor's wife, who really closed out the War of the Roses. If you can't wait until the next episode, you can chat with me on social media. I'm on Twitter at SadGirlStudyPod, and Instagram at SadGirlStudy, and as always, the best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please let me know how I'm doing. Rate or review, or or else I'll be sad. Thanks.